Hey folks, Adam McDaniel back with you for another episode of Apex Mind, where we're looking at current events and news, discussing how you can learn, teach, and support your employees better, and featuring interviews with a wide variety of guests. Our last episode featured our first interview with Jason Cleats, who has been inspiring people online to be more accountable for their health, their finances, and other life goals. Um, since that was our first interview, and we have a lot more to come, feel free to let us know what you thought about it, what you liked, what maybe you would want to see more of. You can reach us, and we'll put the links in the show notes on Twitter, LinkedIn, and we have a brand new website where if you don't use those two social platforms, you can actually contact us there as well. Um, but definitely looking for that feedback. I want to make sure I'm providing value to you all. And I have a lot of exciting guests coming up in the coming weeks, um, starting with our very next episode. And I'll I'll plug that at the end of the show. Um, but this episode is called We Live in the Greatest Time in Human History. And we're going to feature some interesting, objective, factual data that shows um, why all the complainers and the naysayers who are wrong about saying that these modern times are terrible and, um, you know, they, they earn, um, yearn back for the past. No, we, we actually objectively live in the best time that's ever existed in humanity, according to objective data. And I want to look at that. Um, there, I have two different articles. One is more about like worldwide stats that I think are interesting to help put some perspective here for those of us that might look at very specific challenges and, and kind of extrapolate that to all of society and then the second article is actually more of uh, tied to internet usage and how we can le leverage just this data about trends of how people use the internet, how we can leverage that at work to support our employees. But I'm going to start off with the first article that's more overall data of the world. Um, th this has been featured in multiple news outlets, but I'm going to put the link into the author's actual blog so that it can go straight to him and not have to go through um, a large media outlet. The author's name is Jack Rains. He he runs the Young Money blog. And, and like I said, the link will be in the show notes. Um, but you know, I'm going to pull some stats from that. And we're going to talk about it. But statistically speaking, the world has never been better. Um, but people do complain a lot. 2022 is pretty cool. I, but you know, I, I don't want to dismiss the reason why some people can be concerned about modern times. I mean, we got the war in Ukraine going. We just got out of a two-year-long worldwide pandemic. There's political uncertainty, and, and actually, there's some really bad uncertainty and uprisings happening in some countries in the world. Um, we have some financial markets crashing. We talked about the economy slowing a few episodes ago. Prices are going up. So there's inflation on gas, on food, on a lot of commodities. Some companies are laying off. We've also talked about that on the show. Um, there are so many things that are concerned here, as well as, you know, depending on where you're from, um, I know where I'm from in the U.S., there are definitely a lot of um, political issues and socio-social issues where, you know, depending on your side of those issues, you might have additional concerns. So I don't want to minimize that. I get it. There are a lot of things that people could have concerns about, but we have to balance that with all the good that has changed over time. And we have to put things into perspective. All those things that could be bad we have to look at, are they impacting us personally? Some of them maybe, some of them may not be. They just may be in the news cycle and they're things that we hear and we talk about. Let's look at some stats. I'm going to pull a lot of stats from this article. There's certainly even more that I could reference, but the first section of stats that, that he references of why today is better than all of human history is really regarding mortality. 
couple of things that are interesting from the year 500 BC to 1900 AD, which was just a little over 100 years ago, death was much more common for people. The average youth mortality rate, meaning death before age 15, was 46.7%. So put that into perspective from 1900, which was 122 years ago, to 2400 years before that, 500 BC, half of all people died before age 15. A quarter of infants didn't even reach their first birthday. Uh, that's, that's just insane to think about that. By 1950, that got cut quite a bit. Youth mortality was cut to 27%. This is worldwide statistics. It will vary by country. In 2017, which was the most recent year we had on record, youth mortality, meaning amount percentage of children that died before age 15, was 4.6%. Even in the highest country of that year, which was Somalia, they currently have the highest youth mortality is 14.8%, but that's still about a third of what the global average was back in about 100 years ago. The whole thing we can take from this is that our, our technology and our care and our medical systems have progressed so much to where we don't experience loss of children at nearly the rate that we used to. And, and I think that's amazing news. I mean, I couldn't imagine losing a child. Um, and that stuff still happens. I mean, we, we hear it in the news, but it's so much better than it used to be. And we have to appreciate that. We have to appreciate that society has moved to a point where such a tragic event happens at such a smaller rate than what it used to from about one in two, a hundred years ago to about 5%, about one in 20 today. And that's worldwide depending on how developed your country is and depending on what your medical system is, it's probably much, much lower than that 5%. Um, we hear a lot today about income inequality, and, and I'm not going to touch on that. I think that's a valid concern that some people have. So in, in the year 1820, the global population of a little over a billion, so in 1820, 200 years ago, there was a little over a billion, it was 1.08 billion people. Out of the 1.08 billion people, 965-ish million of those lived in extreme poverty. The vast majority of the people that are alive 200 years ago lived in extreme poverty, which is defined as living on less than $1.90 per day in 2015 dollars. So they do adjust for inflation to equal out that 1820 number versus modern day numbers. A very, very high percentage, well over 90% of the worldwide population lived in that extreme poverty. Then we flash forward to 2015, which is the most recent year we have on record. The global population then was 7.35 billion. I think today we're closer to 8 billion. Out of that 7.35 billion, only 733.48 million lived in extreme poverty. So technically, even though our, our population increased by 6.3 billion people over the last 200 years, the number of people living in extreme poverty actually decreased. And so the percentage went down quite a bit. Um, and, and a lot of this was due to technology increases and opportunity increases for people. Overall, we are much, much richer than our ancestors, even the most poor among us. Even the most poor among us are generally richer than kings were 100 years ago. The folks who might be more poor today tend to have cell phones. They tend to have internet access. They tend to have television. Many folks who are poor have access to air conditioning and other technologies that the kings years ago didn't have. Kings years ago didn't even have indoor plumbing. So we we take these things that have been around since before we were born, especially like if, if it was around when you were born, you just feel like it was always around. 
Uh, but we don't think about the fact that these things do make us rich. Even though it's not money in a bank account, these things do make us rich. In 1981, so this is more recent comparison, 42% of the world lived in extreme poverty. So not quite as high as that 95% in the 1820s, but it was 42%, almost half lived in extreme poverty just 40 years ago. Today, that number is 9%. That's lowered so much in the last 40 years. And it's amazing. And a lot of that's come from more developing countries, countries in Asia and Africa, where so many people who were very, very, very poor have been brought out of that. And, and even for those of us in more first world countries, it may not directly impact us, but we have to appreciate the fact that those people who are in extreme poverty, there's much, much less of them today. And I think that's good news as well. Uh, moving on to the next topic that's discussed here is literacy. Even well after the printing press was invented, like centuries afterwards, books were generally still only reserved for certain people, certain elite people. Written knowledge would only pass down from those, those elite people who knew how to read. Um, and everybody else would rely on certain people to um, relay that information to them. Um, letters couldn't be written between the masses. Notes couldn't be taken by anybody other than the highly educated. Information couldn't be recorded outside of a select few. If we go to 1800, so a little over 200 years ago, 12% of the world's population was literate. Flash forward to 1900, that number only goes up to 21%. So it's still a very small minority of the world's population that was literate a little over 100 years ago. Then we go to 2016, 86% of the world's population is literate. For those of us that have been able to read since we were small children, this may be something we take for granted, but it's amazing to know that so many people can read, can write, can communicate, and, and they don't have to rely on others to relay that information to them, especially in this age where we have the internet. That is, I, I keep saying about the internet, it is the history of humanity's knowledge accessed at your fingertips. And a lot of times you can access it, any information you want for either free or cheap. Um, but just let's compare 100 years ago to today. So penicillin allows us to conquer infections now. Fertilizers allow us to not experience food shortages, although um, we're starting to see those in some places again. And, and I don't want to go down that road, but there's a lot of regulation and, and rules that are causing that. But the technology of fertilizer helped to prevent the, the natural famines that, that would be seen in the past. Steam engines allowed us to spread out and conquer wilderness areas. Um, airplanes allowed us to fly. I mean, humans can fly. And, and 100 years ago, that wasn't even possible. Phones allowed us to communicate with people long distance. Uh, computers allowed us to store a lot of data and compute things much more easily. The internet has connected us to the world. And the, like I said, the history of human knowledge. Even something like a supermarket or a, a store of some sort, those didn't exist in the past. Um, you had to get your, your supplies, your, your produce and your meat and, and your other food items from you know, individuals that would produce those. And now, you know, most places outside of very, very rural outside the city areas, most places have a place you can go where the food is there and you can get the food. It's amazing. We have clean water in most places. We have cell phones that can uh, allow us to be connected on the go. Um, even when, when I was born in the 1980s, cell phones existed, but they were very rare and for the rich. And just in 40 years, now almost everyone has them. And we have some stats on that later too. You know, just the fact that I can talk to you from here, from my home to 
your mobile device or whatever you're listening to this or watching this on anywhere in the world. Um, we have folks in, in Asia and Europe and South America and Australia listening to this show. And that's magic. That, that would not have existed 20 years ago. Um, then we can go chat about it on a giant social media outlet and they're free and they allow you to meet and connect with people all over the world. It's amazing. I hope I've convinced you. I hope that you can now see that despite challenges and things we don't like, that we are in the greatest time in human history. Let, let's shift this and we're going to look at the other article for today. Um, we're going to talk more about the internet specifically and stats around that and really how can we leverage that to be more effective for the people we serve at, at our places of business or if you're, if you're serving your customers. So this is uh, from data, data report. AL.com. I'll, I'll put the URL in the show notes. This looks like it's a white paper. First off, let's just do some general internet usage stats so you can see the scope of, of how it works. So currently, five, per, 5 billion people, which is 63% of the world population, uses the internet today. Uh, most people that don't are going to be very poor and rural um, in, in certain parts of the world. But it is growing and access in certain areas are growing. So I expect that percentage to go up over time. But as of today, it's 5 billion people, 63% of the world's population. So all the rest of these stats are of internet users. So of that, that number, 92% of internet users use a mobile phone, at least sometimes, maybe not all the time, but at least sometimes. And then 90% of internet users are on some sort of social media, one or more social media accounts. Um, when we look at usage, the average person is on the internet about seven hours a day. And that's made up of a variety of topics. When I get into these, it may not be like I'm browsing 70, seven hours a day. The top categories of internet use are social media, news, streaming, streaming video, music, podcasts, gaming. So you could see some of those things might be used like the, the music or the podcasts could be used in the background. You may not be looking at the screen, but it's still using the internet to, to uh, stream that information. Now, this is what I think is more relevant to us on this show. And the top reasons that people use the internet, I'm going to go to all five. There, there was probably about 20 listed. Um, now, obviously, people use the internet for more than one. So these numbers will not just add up to 100. They'll add up to, you know, because people could choose as many as they want. But the number one reason people use the inter from internet is to find information. 60% of people use the internet to find information. Number two at 55% is to keep in touch with people they care about, friends, family, whoever. Um, the next one down is 52% uh, of people use the internet to stay up to date with news and information. Next up is watching videos, TV shows, and movies. That's 50% of people do that. And then 50% of people also research how to do things. So if you look at how many of those top five things relate to how you support people at work, and if, if you are in a training or a development type of role, man, you help people find information. You probably help people keep in touch. That might be more of a communications team or something, but people need to keep in touch to learn from each other and communicate with each other, engage with their, their fellow coworkers. Next one is keep up to date with news and info. Absolutely. Your people at work need to do that. Watching videos, TV shows, and movies, I think this context outside of work is probably more for entertainment. Videos can certainly be used to teach people at work. And then lastly, research how to do things. I mean, I feel like that's our, our core target here at Apex Mind. So that's half of the internet users. And so I call this out because 
people are using the internet outside of work for things very similar to what we want them to do at work. And yet um, a lot of times at work learning is so much different from how people learn outside of work. And, and what I mean by that is it's more formalized. Oftentimes when people produce e-learnings, they're not just quick little videos, like what people watch outside of work. They're not quick little walkthroughs. They're more elaborate and they take longer to produce. They have, uh, you know, click through animations or quizzes in them and so on. And I, I certainly do not want to um, throw shade on the instructional design or the e-learning space, but we have to look at how people behave outside of work because they're going to want to behave at work as close to outside of work as possible. A few more stats here, and then we'll talk about kind of what our takeaways are and what we can do about this. Um, the top websites, I'll give you the top four. The number five is a not work appropriate website that I will not give to you. Um, but number one is YouTube. Number two is Google. Number three is Facebook. And number four is Wikipedia. At least three of those four, YouTube, Google, and Wikipedia are all learning based. I mean, you don't have to learn. You might be using them for other things as well, but you can learn from those. Heck, you can learn from Facebook too. Um, I'm someone who doesn't really use Facebook much. That's why you don't see a Facebook link in any of my, my profiles. And 91% of all internet users watch video in some capacity. So, I mean, most people watch video in some way, shape or form. I'm sure a lot of that's entertainment video because the, um, the stat I have on, on like more uh, informational stuff about half of internet users watch specifically how-to videos, tutorial videos, and educational videos. So half of internet users are watching something tied to learning. And, and I guarantee you, you've probably done that. I know I have. I've shared stories on here. I learned how to um, do drywall. I've learned how to um, do some projects in my backyard. I've learned a ton of things. I learned how to hang my, my TV um, bracket on the wall to hang my TV on the wall. Um, I've learned some tricks on how to train my dogs. So, so many different things that I've learned, um, e exercise related stuff. You know, if, if there's like an exercise movement that I'm supposed to do in the gym and I don't really know it, you can go watch tutorials on that. There's so many things you can learn on there. And that's not even talking about like the academic stuff, the things I've learned for this podcast, um, learning some of these applications I'm using, the, the wealth of information's out there. And I'll say it again. I know I've said it before. You can learn anything you want on the internet for free or cheap. It's so amazing. And it's there. And it's our, the people are already producing it. I mean, I'm producing stuff for Apex Mind. There's people that have huge YouTube channels on any variety of topics and even work-related stuff. It's not just Mr. Beast and people producing entertaining content. Um, you know, there are people producing stuff on Excel and Asana and Slack and um, soft skills and how to train you know, the things that we talk about on here, there are YouTubers that do that too. So it's just amazing that that, that stuff's out there. And, and I'm kind of queuing up for this last piece of what do we do about this knowledge that we live in this age where um, everyone's using the internet and they're using it to learn outside of work. And yet at work, a lot of us are trying to teach them in these old, boring, ineffective ways. So I'm going to give you four key takeaways of what you can do to leverage the internet and leverage modern learning styles to teach better and impact your learners better. So first off on things you can do, curate content from the internet. And what I mean by that, if you don't know that, we had an episode a while back on curating content. What you can do is pull together, and, and this is if you're allowed to, you may have to check with your leadership. Some companies might not be okay with this, but I know I've done it multiple times, but you curate content, curate articles, curate how-tos, 
curate YouTube videos um, tied to any number of topics. You can organize them into a landing page. Um, I've done it on Confluence pages before. Um, I've done it on internal um, documents. I've even just made a PDF with links before. But curate content. Always look to see if it's out there before you create it. And I know I'm talking about external content. You can curate internally too. There's probably teams at your employer that that have documents and processes. Work with them. Save that time. Don't always produce everything from scratch because then you can produce more solutions faster and it's going to deliver something that people want. And if it's in that format of the blog post, the how-to article, the YouTube video, it's probably going to be more appealing than the more traditional L&D design training content that happens at a lot of workplaces. Deliver it like they get it outside of work. If you can, create the YouTube video, create a podcast, create something that's more appealing to people. Um, I, I've just seen too much stuff at work that's just not appealing. And it's it's so stale and it's so old. So if you can make it more similar to the things they're doing outside of work, whether it be your training, your social engagement um, with folks, whatever, they're more likely to use it. Um, don't get me started on how many lame at work social media apps I've used. I'm not going to name names, but if you've ever seen these things, you know, you try to recreate Facebook at work, but it's this other proprietary system because the company wants to have control of it. And then nobody uses it because it's not the functionality they want. Um, next thing you can do to appeal to your modern learner is to make your learning easy to access, easy to consume and engaging. You can do that through YouTube videos and podcasts. If you're using something internal, just make it quick. We've talked about micro learning on here. Um, we've talked about using things like Slack and WebEx and Teams to deliver learning in past episodes. Um, find creative new ways to do it. Don't just produce a PowerPoint or a PDF or use your internal LMS. Find different ways to do it that appeals more to people and is more like how they learn outside of work. And then lastly, I like to provide options of video and text where possible. Some people prefer videos, some people prefer text. Um, and text, I mean like uh, just a page with information that walks through, maybe have some screenshots on there. But I think I think it's nice to have both where you can um, or maybe customize to the situation. If there's an easy process walkthrough, text might be preferable. If it's a more complex thing where maybe demoing your screen would be good, that could be preferable. Um, speaking of that demoing screen, I mean, you can you can use uh, screen capture and and your voice walkthrough to demo, you know, screen walkthroughs. Instead of having to to build out an e learning on it, you could just do it so much easier with software that's really cheap and easy to learn. So, lots of things you can do. Just realize that things are good. You have so many resources. You might be operating, like we said in our um, episode on the economy, you might be operating with a thin budget or a thin team. Um, and it might be hard to produce trainings like you used to. Well, adapt. You you can do it. You can adjust to the situation and leverage what is out there. And depending on if your company allows it, which I sure hope they do, you're going to have a treasure trove of resources to use. So that is it for this episode, everybody. Um, check out the show notes. I'm going to link to both of those articles as well as uh, give you my socials. And I'll, I'll link to the new website as well. If you want to reach out and you don't have LinkedIn or Twitter, um, there, there's a, a submission form. You can submit information. I'm just looking to get feedback from you all. Cause that helps me to know what's resonating with you and what kind of things you're looking for. Um, but we love hearing feedback and, and, you know, that last episode we had with Jason Cleats, give us feedback on how that went. And then our next episode is actually going to feature, um, Yukai Chow. Um, I think on the episode, I might've mispronounced his name as Cho. 
Um, so I apologize for that. But Yukai is the foremost expert on gamification in the world, um, in my opinion. It, way back on our gamification episode, which was one of the early ones, I referenced Yukai and, and his uh, framework that he created called Octelysis. And, and why Yukai is different than a lot of other gamification is he's not just trying to sell you a software platform. He's not just trying to make it gaming. He takes the core drives or the internal motivators or is what gets people to um, align with games and to be motivated by games. And he picks those, those motivators apart and then you can apply them to a training, a workplace performance context, a sales context. He's worked with so many companies and we, we told a lot of really good stories on there. And I mean, he, he's just a blast to talk to. And, and I'm, I'm really glad that I was able to get him on the show to, to speak to y'all. So he's going to be on our next episode that launches very soon. Um, but folks, thank you all for listening. Um, we'd really appreciate it. If you told two people about Apex Mind, we have seen some listenership growth lately, and we really appreciate that. And we want to keep that going, get more of us in the community. And um, very soon, we'd like to start some sort of community that you can all um, start engaging with each other and we can engage outside of just the individual social media interaction. So um, look for that. Get, if you have any ideas of where you'd like to see that, even if it is a Facebook group, I'll deal with it if that's the direction we go. But um, let me know, because I, I do want to start something where we could start engaging with each other more regularly. But in order to do that, I, I really want to see more people in the community more regularly. So recommend the show. Tell some people who you think would benefit from this content. Maybe you got some negative Nellies in your life that are just complaining about everything all the time and they need to get some perspective on why this is the greatest time in human history and whether it be all of our innovations in society or the things in the internet that make learning so much easier today, man, it's actually pretty good. And, and we can have that good override the bad that comes in the news. Um, but folks, I, I really appreciate you tuning in for this one. Tune in each and every episode, um, but really more important, go and help someone else to be better than they were yesterday. That's our main goal of this podcast, and I'd like to see you do it. I hope you're better than you were yesterday. I know I am, but thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.